Welcome to the Horror Babble Originals podcast. The Footage by J. L. Warad Sweat oozed from my scalp as I sat waiting in the café. I hate England in late August. Summer's corpse bloated and fermenting like a bruised apple swirling with flies. I guess I should have picked a meeting place with air conditioning, somewhere with fewer customers. Well, the coffee was good at least. Turkish. The little glass trembled each time I raised it to my mouth. Marcus sauntered past the café window and pushed the door open. Despite his tired gait, he looked good. Always did. He was a gym nut, all protein shakes and muscle gain powder. He had a T-shirt on that might have showed off his abs if he was in any state to pose. He nodded from across the busy room, then shambled over and sat at my table. "'Thanks for coming, mate,' I said. I got a twinge of guilt. I hated asking him to do anything during daylight. "'You got enough sleep, right?' "'Night shifts, pal,' he said. "'No such thing as enough sleep, you know.' He'd bags under his eyes, which did him no favours. He'd some thyroid condition that made his eyes look too big at the best of times. But his expression was gentle, concerned. I needed that. "'Happened again, right?' Marcus said. I nodded. I wiped sweat from my brow. The waitress came over, and Marcus asked for coffee with extra coffee. He was at ease with her, made her laugh. How could anyone be at ease in this moist, bloody heat? "'All this dirt on my feet.' I said to Marcus as the waitress left our table. The words blurted out of me. You know, grit. I hadn't been out of the flat all day, working on a portfolio, tight deadline. I was in bed by ten, maybe ten-thirty. Wake up and— I raised my palms. Work with all this dirt on my bare feet. Fucking Kit-Kat wrapper in my bed, too. Must have stuck to my heel or something when I was— Out walking, Marcus said, finishing my sentence. Yeah. I downed the last of my coffee, the last that wasn't sludge. What I don't get, I sleep in my boxer shorts, right? Nothing else. I live in the middle of Leicester, slap bang in the West End, and no one stops some guy in his boxers, no one. West End, mate, Marcus said. You could be naked with a crack pipe taped to your bell end. No one gives a shit around here. Crime's actually pretty low this side of town, I said. Yeah, but everyone's very liberal-minded. His coffee arrived. He could see I wasn't conversational. All right, maybe you just waddled downstairs and walked around in your backyard for ten minutes. The guy in the rear flat would have told me, or told our landlord, more likely. A twat had relish it. A fly bounced off my chin, and I scratched at it too late. I bit my lip. Jesus, it's messing me up, Marcus. Proper. This is the third fucking time. You never sleepwalk before this started? He asked. As a kid, maybe? Never. I looked up at him. But you were saying you see sleepwalkers all the time at your hotel, right? Three, maybe four times a year. He sipped at his latte. So what's the deal with them? The deal? Marcus looked at me like I was asking a pointless question. Perhaps I was. Dunno, they're oldish blokes mostly, older than us at any rate. Travelling businessmen. And? Uh, <laughs> he chuckled. They're always trying to get somewhere, like they... Mumble they've got to catch a train or meet friends or something. Which makes sense, because they've already made their way down to the foyer. 
I'll be sat behind reception, checking my phone or whatever, and boom, some naked guy trying to open the foyer doors and get out. One time I forgot to close the doors, and I found a guest round the bins at the back of the pub next door. I laughed. What's he say when he awoke? He didn't. I talked to him, got him to follow me back into the hotel, got his name out of him, checked the guest list, walked him back to his room. Piss off, I said incredulously. No lie, walkers can be surprisingly aware. Prick must have woke up next morning wondering why he had crap on his feet, like you. His smile sank when he saw my face. He sipped his coffee. Weird thing, though, he said, is how they look at you. He shook his head. You're there to them, but you're not, you know? And it's like they're staring for miles, staring for miles out of their dream world. You look in their eyes, and they're pits, bottomless, a sheer pit into that other place. He practically stared through me, evidently recalling the experience. His chin trembled. Then he shrugged. He rubbed his dark-ringed eyes and smiled. It's some creepy shit is what it is. I'm thinking about hiring a private detective, I told him, to follow me. Don't be a tard, Marcus said. How much is that going to cost? Fuck's sake. Price of that, you may as well buy a video camera and strap it to your friggin' head. He shook his head and sipped more Turkish. Tard. I'm scared, Marcus, all right? I have zero control. Zero. I could walk into a truck. I could... All right, all right, Marcus said, waving his hands at me for calm and eyeing the room. I just want to know what I'm getting up to, I said. What it's about? Marcus shook his head. He stared at his own reflection on the surface of his coffee. Tell you what, he said. Hotel hasn't filled out tonight. Take a cell at hours, and if you sleepwalk down to reception, I'll see you. Kick up a conversation, maybe. Find out where you're trying to be. I don't know, I said. Hotel rooms are pricey. You were the one talking about hiring Sam Spade, Marcus sighed. Tell you what. If you leave before my manager arrives at eight, you can have the room for zilch. Come on, it's worth a crack, right? You want to sort this, right? I wiped my brow. Yeah. The night was humid as I walked over to Marcus's hotel. A humidity struggling to be rain but failing, like a pot-bellied man trying to rise from slumber and just giving up, rolling his sweltering carcass on his side and thinking nothing. My T-shirt had a spine of dank sweat, surely visible in the lights of passing cars. I wondered, walking into the hotel car park, if this clammy weather was responsible for my somnambulism. I couldn't function in humidity, my brain slothful, unable to recall facts, words leaden in my mouth, barely aware. Was I even distinguishable from my sleeping self? On the tarmac outside of reception, a pack of slugs fed upon the trodden remains of one of their own— my stomach turning, I entered the foyer. "'How's it hanging, dickhead?' Marcus greeted me from behind his desk. "'Or should I call you sir?' He smiled. He wore a shiny purple shirt and black tie. His uniform. He reminded me of a wrapped sweet. I put on a grin. "'Cheers for this, mate.' He stood up and put a keycard on the counter. "'Cell 19, ground floor.' He gave me a sad sort of look, and then he smiled. It'll be cool, you twat. Go on, get some shut-eye. The house cleaners had left the window open in my room, the full six inches its hinges permitted. It did nothing to cool the place. There was no breeze tonight for that. The only thing that had got in was a brown moth flapping against the ceiling light I'd just switched on. I killed the moth. Then I took my clothes off and put on my pyjamas, especially bought. I didn't know why I hadn't thought of that before. 
Somehow the idea of shuffling around the corridors of a budget hotel was more real to me than the streets I lived on. I got in the double bed, put the lights down low. I watched half an old episode of Deep Space Nine, then some adult station, a woman on all fours, a phone to her ear, eyes brown as the moth and just as lifeless, a somnambulist inside a twenty-four-inch screen. It was then I must have drifted off. Sunlight on my face. The sheet stunk of my sweat. I opened my eyes and looked at my beige curtains. My curtains? I wasn't supposed to be in my bed. I hadn't been in my bed. I'd been somewhere else. I shot up. Yes, this was my bedroom. The desk with my Mac on it. The clothes pile by the door. Christ! I checked my feet. My soles were caked with dirt, dry and black. I had a cigarette butt between my toes. I winced. Getting up, I used my house phone in the front room. My mobile wasn't here. Neither were the clothes I'd left them in. All back at the hotel. I rang Marcus. No answer. I left it ten minutes, rang again and got the same. I could have left a voicemail, but some instinct told me not to. I found the number for his hotel, and rang that. Marcus still there? I asked the woman who answered. I'm a friend. I'm afraid not, she replied. Sorry, sir, but you didn't meet him last night, did you? No, I blurted, surprising myself. No, I was committed now. Is there anything the matter? No, he's just gone a bit AWOL. Left before the next shift arrived. Serious offence. If he contacts you, could I ask you to get him to call us? Sure, I replied. What was it you wanted to ask him? Shit. Oh, nothing really. Just like a tenner he owes me. If we see him, we'll pass the message on, she said. What's your name, sir? Uh, Ernie. Ernie? Who was called Ernie these days? I hung up. I sat on the sofa and gazed at my scratched and filthy feet. I should have called the police. I knew that, but somehow I couldn't get it together. Everything seemed so unreal. Had there been CCTV at Marcus's hotel, I couldn't recall. I hadn't paid for the room, of course. Presumably my clothes were in there, along with my phone. The bed slept in. Only a matter of time before they traced me. I waited for Marcus to call. I watched Netflix, series after series, stayed up for twenty-four hours. I had clients waiting, deadlines, but I couldn't copy-edit for shit. At one point I passed the woman from my neighbouring apartment on the stairs, and she said I looked strung out, offered me some sleeping pills. Sleeping pills! I laughed in her face. Thirty-six hours, and the cops never came. I kept dozing, then jolting up in terror whenever I heard my first snore. So damn muggy, all my windows wide open, and still the heat. Summer's stinking breath, and always my sweat. Marcus re-emerged eventually, as a photo on the local news. I spilled my coffee. Body in Swithland Woods identified as Marcus Cara, thirty-five. The police ruled out suspicious circumstances. They ruled out suicide. Natural causes? How had he died of natural causes? What was he doing out at Swithland Woods? That was like six miles from his hotel. He would have had to have walked it. He hadn't a car. I wept with a confusion that melted to guilt, my brain like ice cream in an August gutter. Marcus, man. Marcus. Later— I trudged into Leicester City Centre. By early evening, I was all prepared.
A lunatic tittered in my bathroom mirror. Red eyes, three days facial growth, yellow teeth and patchy skin. I had a trouser belt tied around the crown of my head, a newly bought handheld camera, one of those shaped like a smartphone, gaffer taped to it. The camera sat flat on my forehead like the eye of a cyclops. I switched it on. I climbed into bed. I had not slept in, what, forty hours. I closed my eyes, though it seemed a manner of suicide. The morning sun woke me. I groped my forehead. The belt and its camera were no longer there. I sat up and looked about the bed, the floor. Nothing. Lost to the night. I could feel grit on the soles of my feet. I fell back in bed and moaned. I lay there some time. I'd been a maniac. I could see that now. Whatever this was, I needed help. A Marcus's family. Damn it, they'd need answers. Perhaps I could even give them a few. Yes, I'd grab a coffee, freshen up. Call the police. I got up, stepped through into my front room. The camera hung by its belt from the ceiling light. Someone had tied the belt to the light bulb's cord. I tensed, guts turning. The thing was like a snake, waiting to ambush, staring at me with its lensed eye. The recording light was off. Someone had switched it off. They had tied it there with purpose. The first thing I'd see as I walked out of my room— "'Fuck you,' I heard myself mumble. "'Fuck you, pal.' I pulled up a chair, stood on it. I untied the belt, though I trembled to touch the thing. I took the camera back into my bedroom. I sat down at my desk and fired up my Mac, its pale light a cone in the drawn curtain gloom. I took a deep breath and rubbed my face. Then I plugged the camera in. The footage, which I have watched a hundred times now— is grainy and bleached and soundless. It starts with me gazing into the bathroom mirror and tittering, my eyes pink-rimmed. I turn around, stumble to my room, and climb into bed. My bedroom ceiling fills the screen. The footage is the same for some time. At the forty-five-minute mark, something happens. The ceiling shifts upwards, and the camera focuses on my bedroom door. I've risen. I climb out of bed in one smooth motion. I open the door and walk through my unlit flat, the only illumination coming from a street lamp outside. I open my flat's front door and exit. I make my way down the building stairs. Halfway down, I stop. My downstairs neighbor is trying to unlock her flat's door. She seems drunk, back from a night out. She doesn't see me watching her, waiting in the dark of the stairwell above. She unlocks her door and goes in. A pause, and I continue to walk downstairs. At the bottom of the stairs, I turn left toward the back of the house. I exit by the back door. I walk through the concrete emptiness of the backyard. I open the gate and drift through. Outside, in the empty back street, a car waits. Its lights are on, dipped and casting long arcs across the tarmac. I stopped the footage at this point. I had to control my breathing. A car. A third party. No. It had to be coincidence. Just someone waiting for someone else. I pressed play. In the footage, saturated with the pale sodium of street lighting, I walk toward the car. A woman is sat in the driving seat. She wears a nightdress. She stares straight ahead, seemingly oblivious of my approach. I open the rear side door and— get in. A man, mid-thirties, is sat in the back. 
He wears an old T-shirt and shorts. He stares straight ahead, ignoring me. The car starts and we drive off. Silent. We come out onto the motorway. We drive for nearly an hour, the motorway becoming ever emptier, melting to back roads, to flat Leicestershire countryside. In the footage, the car stops at the side of a country lane. In its headlights glare are several other vehicles parked up in a line. I open the car door and get out. Ahead of me stands a derelict petrol station with an equally derelict mechanic's garage attached. Trees beyond, their boughs blacker than the night. Twelve figures, some in nightdresses, some in pyjamas, some entirely naked, stand in a circle in the garage's forecourt. They stare blankly toward the centre of their circle, at the floor. The man in T-shirt and shorts, the one who had sat mute beside me in the back seat of the car, walks toward them. I follow. Sluggishly, the circle parts for us both. A bearded man, young, his clothes shabby, is kneeling upon the concrete with his arms behind his back. He looks like one of my city's many homeless. Shaking, he looks up. A rolled-up bin-bag is tied around his face, its black length between his teeth, a gag. His eyes are wet. For the briefest moment they become wide with hope. But then he sees I am like the others. His face creases and he weeps. Perhaps Marcus had been just like this homeless man the night he vanished. Perhaps not. Perhaps his loss of hope had been worse. Two of the sleepwalkers lift the man onto his feet. He doesn't even struggle. They turn him around, and it is clear his wrists are bound together with another rolled-up bin-bag. Ahead of us, across the forecourt, a strange light comes from inside the derelict garage. A faint glow, ice-blue, like the luminescence of some deep-sea predator. It seeps out from the smashed windows, from the holes in the sloped roof where the tiles have fallen away. From the fire exit, its twin doors ajar and waiting. The thirteen sleepwalkers shuffle forward, shepherding the bound and gagged man toward the garage. I follow them. Three steps and I stop. The camera's view shakes. The camera, its belt, are being removed from my head. Its view points at the clear night sky. My own face comes into view, lit by the blue glow from the garage. I am holding the camera, staring directly into the lens. Sat in the gloom of my bedroom, watching that damned footage for the first time, I stared at myself. In the footage, I stare back. My eyes are like two bottomless pits, each a sheer drop down into that other place. And then I smile. The footage ends there. Hello, ladies and gents. Ian here. Be sure to pop on over to our YouTube channel or Facebook page for regular updates. If you'd like to support our work, please consider taking a look at our Patreon or Bandcamp pages, or search for us on Audible. You'll find links to everything on our website, horrorbabble.com forward slash links.